And here's what Jesus promises, that your life will not be perfect. You'll have trials, you'll have tribulations, you'll have issues you're gonna go through. But know this, that God will actually make you stronger through the things that cause you pain. In fact, your greatest ministry and your greatest purpose is gonna come out of your greatest pain. So all the things that you felt like that happened in your life were really, really bad, God is going to use that for good. God is going to change you. God is going to shape you because he did all of that to me. And here's the best part. I get to live on this earth with somebody who loves me, who cares for me, who 2,000 years ago died for me in the cross. I don't know. Do you have a friend that died for you? You don't? Well, I do. His name is Jesus. He died for me in the cross. You're listening to audio from Forward Church in Irvine, California. We help people find hope in Jesus. For more information, please visit forwardchurchirvine.com. How can you be sure you will go to heaven? Does anybody know? It's a good question, right? How can you be sure you're going to go to heaven? In fact, one of the questions that plagues most people, maybe it plagues you today, uh, people who struggle with sin, struggle with problems, struggle with issues, is that how do I know that I am saved? How do I know that when I die, when I pass away, I'm going to be with Jesus, and I want to, at the beginning, I want to encourage you. Jesus wants you to be saved, amen? Amen. Like, Jesus wants to save you. Jesus wants you to be saved. We're reading in this text, in this beautiful, beautiful text that's written by the gospel writer John. He wrote the gospel, he wrote uh, the the three letters of John. And in the first verse that we read here, We read that it says everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of here. The author here is introducing to us a theme that he developed earlier in the letter that he's saying that only those who believe that Jesus is the Christ are born of God. The question is, is how do you know you're going to heaven and that you're saved? Well, I want to ask you right at the beginning, have you personally believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? That's a question that you need to answer for yourself today. And I also want to say that you personally are not saved because of the words you said. You're saved because of the word you heard. Are you guys with me? You're not saved because of the word. You might have been coming to church for a long time. You might have been at a church where you came up to the altar and you said a prayer or somebody prayed over you. But the thing is, that is fine and good, but you're actually saved because of the word you heard, the word of the Lord. And I also want to encourage you that if God saved you, you are saved forever. You're saved forever. It's not your faith that saves you. Uh, It's a gift that has been given to you by God. It's the faith of God that has been given to you. And so here's, at the very beginning, there's three tests to see if you're saved. If you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you died right now and you'd go to heaven, here's how you know. Number one, you need to ask yourself a question. Are you loving Jesus? And here's why you got to listen to this. Because this matters because it's going to determine where you spend eternity. So the question I want to ask is, what do you love, right? The Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. And so when you begin to love Jesus, your affections change. You don't have perfect love for Jesus, but you have evident love. Do you love God? Do you love his word? Do you love the people of God? Do you want to be in the church? Do you want to be in worship? That's the first question you need to ask yourself. If you're saved, do you love Jesus? Second question is, are you humble? Are you humble? There's a sense in which 
you're aware of your sinfulness and your depravity and the wrong you've done and how much Jesus saved you and that you never really get over the grace and mercy that God has given you. Yeah, you woke up today and you're like, man, God, I have breath in my lungs. God, thank you. Creation testifies about you. The fact that I'm drinking delicious coffee testifies to God's love. Come on, somebody. Like, like round of applause for that. Man, we can clap that up all day long. I was recently meeting with my coach and he's like, man, I haven't been able to drink coffee since 18 years old. I'm like, dude, we need to get that deliverance on you, man. Like, how are you living like that? I'm not even a Christian until I drink coffee. I get that for Dimitri, both of us. So please pray for us. Are you remaining humble? Do you understand that everything you have is given to you by God? And the third test is, are you obedient? Meaning that it's not perfect obedience, but is there a longing, a deep desire and affection, a longing in your heart that you want to obey the Lord. Some of you might say, well, I want to obey Jesus, but I look at my past and even as I consider my life, I see so much problems and issues and disobedience and I struggle with sin. And you might say, well, how do I know I'm obedient enough to evidence my love for Christ? Let me put you at ease. If you're loving Jesus, if you're humble, and if you're obedient, you aren't trying to earn your salvation. You already have it. You're not trying to earn God's love. God gave it to you. It's not that you're obedient enough so that you earn your salvation. No, you obey God because God loved you. And out of the abundance, out of the love you have in your heart, you begin to love other people. If you're coming to me like, man, last week I struggled with so many things. Like I wasn't the husband I needed to be. I wasn't the wife I needed to be. I'm not the parent I needed to be. I'm not the business owner I need to be. Look, you're in good company with a guy who wrote 70% of the New Testament, Apostle Paul. In fact, in scripture, he says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I should do. And then he's like, I'm the chief of sinners. How many of us feel like that? I feel like that maybe uh, last week, but this past week, I was pretty good. Exactly. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. See, I already broke one of these, but that's fine. That's why I'm telling you I'm a real person. You'll never be at a point when you won't have sin in your life, but that's the part that humbles you, right? Some of us wake up on Monday morning, we're like, okay, not going to do anything bad, not going to flip off anybody on 405, I'm not going to, you know, cuss my coworkers out, in my mind, of course, because I'm a believer, right, because I can't do that out loud, and the point is, that's how you're relying on God's grace, like, you're like, man, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have thought that, that's one of the reasons why you probably are a Christian, here's the thing, if you're truly saved, you're broken over your sin. You grieve over your sin. You desire to be obedient. You have trials in your life, but that doesn't make you come walk away from the faith. You actually come out with a stronger faith, like trials and tribulations in your life make you stronger because the Bible says, count it all joy when you encounter various kinds of trials. Now, there are people right now in this world, in our culture, and there are religions and even some churches, which is crazy to me, that deny that Jesus is the Messiah. That they deny that God's son came to the, in the flesh whose death was both real and necessary. And so one of the things that the author here is trying to correct is a lot of false teaching. He's saying that those who believe that Jesus is the Christ are born of God. And he's stressing the content of the true Christian confession over and against all other false religions and false ideologies. Every other false religion does not believe that Jesus is God. That is the crux of the matter. That is the issue. 
The Bible here, we read, it says, born of God. Now, I want you to pay attention to this, that, that being born of God is very different from natural birth. We're not talking about a procreation. We're not talking about a natural birth. It's something initiated by God. It's affected by his spirit, and it takes place in conjunction with people's faith in Christ. People often say, well, I was born this way. To that I say, you need to be born again another way. You need to be born again. Like that's the whole point. Galatians chapter four, verses six to seven says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, father. How do you know you're a Christian? You believe God is your father. You cry, you're like, Abba, father. You see, religion says, oh my gosh, I messed up. Dad's gonna kill me. But the gospel says, I messed up. I need to go run to the father. You guys with me? That's what the gospel, that's the good news. You're no longer a slave. Why are you hanging out outside of the mansion of God? You're a son. You're a daughter. And the Bible says if you're a son, you're an heir through God. You're a recipient of God's grace. Everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. The point is that everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. And now as we're thinking about our own personal lives, all those who love God will be marked by their love for the children of God. First John 4.20 says this, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Can I be honest with you guys? Like super, super honest. Like we're just having coffee right now. I have a very difficult time loving some people. It's true. Does that surprise you guys? No, it, wow, that was a bit too much of an amen. That was a bit too much. But here's the reality. I know you're the same way. See, I bet you anything that you're friendly with some people, but you ain't friends with some people. Come on, somebody. You love people in Christ, but you don't like them, right? So the point is, it's like one of my messages that's sort of percolating in my mind that I'm going to preach in maybe the next few weeks is like, I, I don't like people, but I really love God. What do I do? right? Because let's be honest, it's really hard to love people. I mean, look at us. We're a very diverse bunch of people, right? And I would even say that often it's pretty much impossible to love all people all of the time, right? But here's the reality, okay? I want to give you hope. I want to give myself hope. What's important is not that we love everyone perfectly, but rather that we have a heart that has been captured by God And we want to follow Jesus and we want to love other people, albeit imperfectly. You guys with me? Trajectory is what matters, right? Imperfect pursuit until Jesus Christ returns. See, if you're looking for perfection in your life, you'll never find it. And what we're after is direction, not perfection. You guys with me? You might not like some people, but how about you begin to pray For that person, it's really hard not to like someone you pray for on a regular basis. That person that you have a hard time getting along with, I I challenge you, this is your call to action. I usually include it at the end of my message. I'll do it at the beginning. Try to pray for that person for one week and see what happens. So the question I want to ask you is, as we're talking about salvation, what's the trajectory of your life? Is it towards Christ? Is it in the direction desiring to be obedient to Jesus? And a lot of us will say, well, I don't obey the Lord perfectly. Well, that's why we need to constantly rely on him. See, I don't have the power to hold my salvation. 
We don't have to hold on to the salvation. God holds on to us. God gives us a faith that will not fail because it is God's gift to us. Now, on the topic of people, and we're talking about the church, I would say people are very important. But in the church, people are not the most important. Who is the most important in the church? It's God, yes, exactly. Meaning that we gather together to worship God. Someone's like, well, I didn't like the worship. It wasn't for you. Some of you are like, pastors have been off in his message. Don't worry about it. God can draw straight lines with crooked sticks. It's God's word that has the power. Not my pithy statements, not my quotes, not my perfectly outlined curated message. God can do something incredible. And that's what I think we cannot miss, that we are, God is for God. And that's the best thing for us. So when we come in here, we're not worried about the temperature of the AC. We're not worried about how the coffee was, if somebody greeted us or not. Because if we, even if the church does all of that perfectly, there will be someone who finds something wrong with it. Amen? Because remember, hard to like people type of deal, right? That's all of us. And so the point is, if we come into church and we're like, God, Man, I'm expecting your move. God, I want to hear the message. Speak to my heart, God. Who can I encourage? Who can I take out to lunch? Who can I take out for a coffee? God, pour into me. God, I have an expectation. Like the song we were singing, we need a miracle. I'm here because I'm in an, like I'm singing right now, like with my wife, we're standing here and I'm raising my hands and I'm feeling all of that. The problems and the issues and the shame and the guilt falling off of me. And I feel God's presence coming all over me. And I'm like, I desire God before you guys hear this message. I'm hearing a message. I'm worshiping. And so the the point is that when we magnify God, we realize it's not about us. It's about God. People are important, but they're not the most important in the church. Jesus Christ and his purposes are the most important in the church. A lot of people are ragging on the church today. A lot of people are ragging on the bride of Christ. Do not forget, the church is the bride of Christ. And the point is, a lot of people have a misconception about the church. People think, well, the church, it's for people to come and to get their lives together and straightened out so they can be good, really amazing citizens. That's not the point of church. The point of church is to exalt God. That's the point of the church. That's why we exist as a church. Because when we exalt God, we do become the people that God is talking about. A lot of people are lamenting about the fact that, okay, church in America does not attract a lot of men. And the reason men need to go to church is because they're going to be great, upstanding citizens. And they're going to find something to do. That's all fine and good. But the most important thing is that men love Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. Not for them to... Yeah, they can find their purpose in church, but at the end of the day, it's the man you're becoming. It's the woman you're becoming. And so I think people forgot that the church is about God. It's about God. It's his idea. The church is the only institution. It's not an organization. It's an organism. It's a body. It's not a corporation. See, so the point is people forget that and and that's why God promised to be in his house and if you want miracles and breakthroughs and sin forgiven, you come to church and you experience all of that. And see, here's a cool thing. When we focus on God and what he wants, we begin to love people. You guys with me? The more I love God vertically, the more I love people horizontally, right? 
So why do we worship? We, we worship so that all of our faculties open up and we love God with all of our heart. How do we love our neighbor? That's us doing ministry, right? We see somebody in need, we help them out. We go and we make disciples. We baptize people. If you want to get baptized, we want to baptize you. We teach people to do what they need to do because the scripture talks to us about this. So by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So I want to go back again to this question. I want you to be sure of this. How do you know that you're saved? Do you love God? Do you love the people of God? Or do you have a trajectory that you're going to that direction? Do you have a desire to live a godly life? Do you use your gifts to glorify God? Do you want to please God? And here's the thing. Does it bother you when you do things that don't please God? This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out to his commands. I think we live in a culture that is dominated by feelings. I don't feel like it. If I, it's like some people are like, well, I feel like I was born a certain way, but I feel like I'm not that person. It's like, well, I identify as a motorcycle and I'm going to go and do the Tour de France and I'm going to beat everybody. Kind of strange, right? But I can do that, right? Like imagine if I identified as like a unicorn. What would you guys think? I'm mentally ill? That's how I felt today. So the point is we're at the point where people are not taking scripture literally about how God creates people. And then the church is not equipped to have these nuanced conversations. But I want to tell you this, contrary to popular belief, you aren't what you think. You are what you love. You guys with me? You're not what you think. You're what you love. In his excellent book, You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit, author James Smith says the following, that we need to, as Christians, replace their emphasis on thought with an emphasis on desire. Okay, watch this. Quote, while we desire to shape culture, we are not often aware of how culture shapes us. One thing that always baffles to me is when we talk about church and we always say, we don't want anything from you. We want everything for you. And the moment any person asks of a level of commitment, people are like, well, I don't know. You're making me do all this stuff. But bro, you committed to Netflix. You committed to Netflix blindly. You didn't read a thousand pages of terms and conditions and you just clicked accept. So actually you do have, you don't have a problem with commitment. You have a problem with desire, right? See, we, the author continues, he says, we might not realize the ways our hearts are being taught to love rival gods instead of the one for whom we were made. In the same chapter, John says, little children, keep yourself from what? From idols, right? From different gods. The author continues and he's helping listeners recognize the formative power of culture and the transformative possibilities of Christian practices. He explains that, and this is why we come to church and why we sing. See, worship singing is not just time filler for us to get to church on time so then we can listen to the message. The worship is the message, The message is the message. You coming into the building is the message. Like your transformation begins when you walk into this space because God promised to be everywhere. So you're like, wait a minute, some sacred stuff happens in the lobby? Absolutely. In the lobby, in the coffee shop, in the overflow room, in the parking lot. So the point is, why do we worship, right? We give worth to God. He explains that when we love God with all of our hearts, Our mind, watch this, becomes the imagination station, okay, that incubates our loves and longings 
so that our cultural endeavors are indexed towards God in his kingdom. You guys with me? This is why the church and worshiping in a local community of believers should be the hub and heart of Christian formation and discipleship. People always ask me, how do I get a stronger marriage? Come to church on Sunday. Well, how do I stay out of trouble? Come to church on Sunday. Well, how do I get rid of addictions? Come to church on Sunday. Well, how do I get rid of besetting sins in my life? Come to church on Sunday. Well, how do I get rid of the shame and guilt in my life? Come to church on Sunday. Wait a minute. You think church is really important, huh? I do. Why? Because God thinks it's very important. And God promised to be in the church. So why wouldn't you want to go in the place God is? I want to go to where that power is. And so when I'm, when I'm standing and I'm raising my hands and I'm worshiping God, all of my thoughts about the uncertainty of the future, they start falling away in my mind as the imagination station. And my minds and my thoughts and my emotions are indexed towards God and his kingdom. Because throughout the week, the algorithm has been indexing me to think of something else. That's what's been happening to me. It's what's been happening to you. The local church, right? Whether or not people love the children of God can be determined by the presence of or absence of love for God in obedience to God's commandments. So if you truly love God, you'll inevitably love people. Now, let's say that you're saved and you're like, okay, I love Jesus. I'm saved, pastor. I'm good to go. Let me talk to the people who are Christians and they're saved, okay? We're born with a Bible in your crib. You had scripture verses everywhere. You went to church on Sunday seven times a day. And it's like, if they cut you, you're going to bleed Bible, okay? I want to talk to you for a second. If you're doing a daily devotion every day, you're having quiet time with the Lord, you're coming to church, you're listening to a sermon, you're going to a group, you're worshiping Jesus, and you're singing to Jesus, if all of that is not leading you to love people, then you're doing it wrong. You need to figure out what is the obstacle. I was recently speaking to somebody from our church and I was so, 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 so incredibly encouraged by this conversation. I'm speaking to this person and I'm like, hey, this is where we're going in the next couple of months. And I want to make sure, you know, you're functioning, you're in all of God's given capacity that you have, but I want to make sure nothing that you're going to be doing exceeds your bandwidth. And this person replies to me, they're like, hey, the things that you're talking about, they not only don't take away from my capacity or my bandwidth or my energy, but in all actuality, those are the very things that gives me life. You see what's happening? Because watch this. None of us have a problem binging one of our favorite Netflix shows for like five or six hours, right? None of us do. And, and I'm not dogging on Netflix. It's fine. Hulu, your sinners as well. Um, and Amazon Prime and Disney Plus and every, every other place. It's desire, right? Our appetite and our attention gravitates towards that which we love, right? Did you know our, your eyes are like target mechanisms? Like your eyes are like sniper rifles. Your eyes are target where you're going. So you, you come out, you're like looking, okay, I'm going this way. And so what happens is if God is part of our desire, then we desire to serve other people. And then we're serving other people. People are not annoying to us. They are like very lovable to us because we know how unlovable we were. You guys with me? Like our desires begin to change. And the point is, this is what's so encouraging to me that, that when I heard this person say that, I'm like, wow, this person is being carried along by the Holy Spirit in their endeavors. A lot of times people are like, let me be honest with you guys. If you called me at three in the morning and you said, pastor, dude, there's a, you got to preach a sermon. I'd be like, sounds good. Victoria, peace. Like I'm out. <laughs> Call me three in the morning. If you say, pastor, can you preach seven days in a row? No problem. All day long. Sounds good. I have like a thousand plus sermons in my Rolodex right here. 
right? Why? I love doing it. Why? Because God gave me that gift, right? God gave you a gift. God gave you something. Don't hold it out for the sake of other people. There's something that God gave you a desire for. And there's people in your life that need to be served by you. And if you're saved, we invite you to church to bring you in, build you up, and send you out. See, the success of a church is not based on its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. Don't allow this building to tell you about the size of the influence of the church. God can do whatever he wants. And see, when we begin to focus on God and focus on people, multiplication begins to happen. A lot of times I'll have people come up to me and they'll ask me, like, and they, they, they mean very, very well. They say, hey, um, I haven't seen that person. I haven't seen that other person in a while. And if I know where they've been or I've been talking to them, I'll say, hey, I'm not really sure where they are. Or, or sometimes, sometimes if I'm really pastoral, I'll gently, tenderly, lovingly ask, well, have you called or texted that person? Have you called them? Have you reached out to them? If the response is no, then I'm going to be honest with you guys. You don't really love that person enough to reach out to them. You don't care about Because if you cared, you would reach out. Curiosity should lead to service. Thank God for his grace toward us that he forgives us in what we do. And so watch this. One cannot love God and keep his commands without loving the children of God. And one cannot love the children of God without loving God and keeping his commands. You guys with me? So we come to church, God's spirit pours into us and we go out and we are able to serve other people. And I will say this, if you're having a difficult time loving people, it's because you're not loving God. That's just the reality. If I'm not loving other people, and I'll be the first to admit it, it comes hard to me sometimes. If I'm not loving other people, it's because I'm not loving God. I first must learn to love God and that will lead me to obey his commands and thus I will begin to love other people. How do you know that you love God? It's obedience to his commandments, right? That's how you know that you're saved and you're going to heaven. Let me ask you a question. What do you love? Who do you love? Can I tell you if we had like a a one-on-one and you'd be like, pastor, like, I don't really know what I love and I'm an open book. Like you can, you know, ask me questions. I'd be like, okay, first thing, let's look at your bank account. What do you spend your money on? That's number one, because our time and our effort drifts the most effortlessly to that which our heart is captured by, right? Second, what we love is what we spend time on, right? Some of these are really good things. It's not a problem. If you're an iPhone user and we'll pray for the other people, for you guys to get rescued and delivered and experience salvation, look at the, there's a really wonderful feature. It's called screen time on your phone. If you want to know, like I remember Victoria and I did this once. I'm like, hey, let me look at your screen time and I'll let you look at my screen time. And boy, were we shocked. And Victoria was like, wait a minute, that doesn't look right. And then she tried to get this. She tried to proceed to tell me, well, no, this is tracking our screen time across all of our devices. I'm like, ah, 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 don't get out of this one. And I was even more guilty. How do you know you love Netflix? Every month, there's an ACH debit that comes out of your account. You love it. You watch it every day, and that can be proved by your Netflix viewing activity. So what's the point of what I'm trying to get to? Whatever you attend to and whatever you tend to, that is what you love. So when we come to church, we're indexing our worship of God, and we're like, God, change me from the inside out. So in verse 4, the author here continues. He says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one 
who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Watch this. It's the faith in Jesus as the son of God that enables believers to overcome the world. How will you overcome your physical and ailments and struggles? It's believing Jesus is God. How am I going to face an uncertain future because Jesus is God? How am I going to face a diagnosis from a doctor I wasn't expecting? Because Jesus is God. How do I know what's happening in the future? I'm not worried about the future because I know the one who holds it and his name is Jesus. So Jesus is the answer. The Sunday school got it right. Jesus is a solution. You'll know if you understand the gospel, the good news, by what you do when you blow it or when you commit sin. Because if you sin or if you do something contrary to scripture, when you run to God and you throw yourself at his mercy, that's how you know you love God. Because a good father will not reject you. But if you run to make yourself feel better for uh, substances or whatever else instead of God, it might be a question if you're saved or not. Here's another way you can tell if you're a Christian or not. I want to ask you, how do you go through trials? If you've been, like, babies are barely born and they're already crying. Anybody that comes into this world, you're going to have pain. You're going to have problems. You're going to have issues. What can your faith survive is my question. If you say you believe in the Lord and you walk out on God during a trial, then maybe you didn't have a saving faith. See, Job, when everything was taken away from him, Job said, though he slay me, I trust him. What do you do in trials? Do you run to God? Does your faith stay intact through those trials? In fact, trials validate your faith. That is, it's like, I think Warren Buffett said kind of funny. He's like, when the tide goes out, everybody's going to see what everybody was pretty much wearing on the beach, right? You guys with me? So that's the point. Like trials test our faith. Believe in God and his gospel more than in Satan and in his lies and deceptions. Do not ever for a second think, man, I'm going through a difficult moment in my life. It's because God doesn't love me. That's a lie. God loves you. God cares for you. And God loved you so much. He got on the hook of suffering. He went to the cross for you. And so I love what this author says. He, he says the person who overcomes, right? We want to be overcoming Christians. We want to, we want to overcome the, the temptations in our life, right? Like when we're, when we're alone, when we're isolated, we're tempted to look at things we shouldn't look at. And we're tempted to say things we shouldn't say. And, and when people irritate us, when, of course, it's not our fault because we were hungry or we didn't have any coffee or something else. And we don't want to act in a particular way. We want to have a faith that people look at us and say, wow, that's a man, a woman of faith here how you get it. The victory of faith in this text is both a complete action and an ongoing process, meaning that you have overcome the world and you continue to keep overcoming into the future. That's the power we have, that the world has been overcome by Jesus and is continuing to be overcome by Jesus. Now, how do we know this is true? Because you might be like, sounds good. Jesus is good, but I'm not really convinced yet. Watch this. Verse six, he says this, he says, this is he, he's talking about Jesus. And he says, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. So watch this. The author of this text and the false teachers that he was arguing against agreed that Jesus underwent John's baptism, right? By water, Jesus was baptized. Everybody's like, yeah, sounds good. 
and that Jesus was given the spirit at that time. But here's the problem. While the author of 1 John and the false teachers agree that Jesus came by water and that Jesus had a baptizing ministry, they did not agree that Jesus was the son of God. That's where the problem is. Because people in our culture right now, they don't have a problem with a Jesus that is a good teacher. They don't have a problem with a Jesus that is a moral teacher. And do you know what people don't have a problem with? And often people in the church don't have a problem with? A thing called Christian Buddhism. Christian Buddhism is all of the teachings of Jesus without Jesus. I don't want to be anywhere where Jesus isn't. You can, you, my wife can cook me a wonderful meal. She can clean the house. She can make everything perfect. But what's important to me is her. I don't want to enjoy the meal without her. So we have this thing where the same problems that existed in this text is existing now. People are like, oh, Jesus, a good teacher, good prophet. He's a good moral authority, a really great guy until he flipped tables over in a temple. Nobody talks about that, right? And, and here's, the, here's the problem. Here's the issue that's going on in our culture right now. Like, like, watch this. People are taking the truth of God and saying, did God really say? Have we heard that before? Yeah, Genesis. It's the sin. Did God? Well, no, Jesus is cool. Like, like, yeah, we can do social justice, but all this morality stuff, now we don't need to do it. So then, so then people become like, it's like Democrats, Republicans, in the middle, we have a one particular sect right here, another sect right here, and both are offering ways of salvation. No, the salvation is in Christ. It's in scripture. That's the only way that we can understand who God is and what he is doing. And here's the thing. If they truly believe, the false teachers and if our culture truly believed in fact he was God, they would obey him and submit to him. That's the difference. When people are like, I love God, I love Jesus. Do you submit to him? Do you obey him? Well, not really. And watch this. The author is so good at this. He's like, hey, Jesus came by water. You agree. He got baptized. You saw him get baptized. And that's not all. He came by the blood. He came by the blood. Jesus coming by blood is referring to his death on the cross. And 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Watch this. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. How do we get cleansed from addictions? The blood of Jesus. How do we get cleansed from shame? The blood of Jesus. How do we get cleansed from besetting sins? The blood of Jesus. How do we get rid of anxiety in their life? The blood of Jesus. How can we escape depression in their life? The blood of Jesus. How can we escape the worry in their life? The blood of Jesus has the power. It's Jesus. It's a name you cannot say enough of. A name you cannot trust in enough. And he will absolutely change your life. It's Jesus. And this reference to his blood, watch this, because a lot of people are like, Oh my gosh, you know what? I'm so glad. Jesus, I get it. He came to this earth, carpenter's son at 12. He came to the temple, like preaching. Man, what a wonder kid. Like, dude, just like crazy. 30, he begins his ministry for three and a half years. And he gets brutally murdered. All of his disciples run away except one. Like, he doesn't plant a large church. He doesn't start a huge ministry. By all organizational accounts, he was a really big failure, basically. 
And people begin to, to begin to become Christians and they look at that and they look at Jesus and they say, you know what? And then he went to the cross. Man, poor Jesus. So many things were done to him. Friends, let me say it for you this way. The cross was not something done to Jesus, but something Jesus did. The blood is not something done to Jesus. It's something Jesus did. He was in full control and power and authority the entire time. Jesus is not a victim. He's a victor. That's who Jesus is. We're victorious in Christ. Jesus is not a part of some cosmic ploy of Satan. Oh, snaps. Like three days later, Satan got away, didn't get away. Jesus like beat him up. No, no, no. Jesus is an authority. And remember, I preached before, he's an authority on earth and in heaven because Satan only has authority on earth. But Jesus said, I have authority on earth and in heaven. Boom. This is why we know love. You and I can experience love because Jesus laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And that's, we may say that Jesus coming by water and Jesus coming by blood, they refer to things that Jesus did. Jesus came by water, is talking about his baptizing ministry, right? When we baptize somebody, their old life is left in the watery grave and they come up out of the water, right? Remember Lance, when I baptized you, came up out of the water, renouncing false religion to the whole world. I mean, that's an exciting moment. That's a person going from death to life, from darkness to light. We celebrate that. The Bible says even if one person comes to faith, all the angels rejoice, and we are going to see more and more and more and more people get saved. That's a, it's a party that we have. So that's baptism, right? His coming by water refers to Jesus' baptizing ministry. Jesus had a baptizing ministry. We have one as well. We want to baptize people. And his coming by blood refers to his laying down his life as the atoning sacrifice in order to provide cleansing for the sins of his people. Where do you find cleansing? Where do you find peace? Where do you find hope? Look no further to Christ. Look no further than Christ. And, and here's, the, here's what I love about this text, that not only we know that Jesus came by the water, Jesus came by the blood, that, that the cross was not some mistake that was in the sovereign plan of God for you and I to get saved, but watch this in verse 7. He says, there's three that testify. He's using a court term at this moment. He's saying three uh, people giving testimony. Three that testify. The spirit and the water and the blood. You guys see that? Spirit of God, the water, and the blood. All three testify and watch this all agree. How do you know if I get three people in one room and they're telling me the same story, but they all have different stories, do they agree? No, they don't agree at all, right? How do I know that the story corroborates with one another? How do I know that? They all agree, right? I talked to Joe, I talked to Lance, I talked to Victoria. They all saw the same event. They all have the same exact story. Three people agree. It's a true testimony. The court is going to approve that, right? Now, here's what it says here. If we receive the testimony of men, John's like, look, if you, if you truly actually accept people's testimony, like you believe people are telling you the truth, how much greater is God's testimony? It's God, right? 
And he's saying, this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. And so this is why he's saying this in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, important issues were decided with the testimony of two or three witnesses. Alongside the Spirit's witness concerning Jesus, there stands the silent witness of Jesus's work. Jesus, people think it was a John the baptizer. No, it was Jesus the baptizer. Jesus' work as the baptizer and the one who made atoning sacrifice and the witness of the water and the blood. And the author says the three are in agreement and in a judicial case, it is vital that the testimony of different witnesses should agree. And so the author is building his case here, showing that these three witnesses, the spirit of God, the water, the blood, they concur the testimony. And here's the problem with the false teachers. They denied that Jesus came by water and blood, and they focused only on his coming by water. He was just a great teacher, but he's not God. But the author is here like, no, he came by water, he came by blood, and he came with the spirit. See, Jesus came to earth and he baptized people. He went to the cross. He died. Three days later, he came back from the dead by the power of God. And the spirit of God opens up your and my blind eyes and we see our sin and we believe upon Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Talk to anybody who's been saved. Talk to anybody who's saved. They're going to tell you, I finally find purpose in my life. I finally saw the reason why God created me. We read it in verses 10 through 12 that those that don't believe in Jesus, they deny that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh, and that he came by water and blood. By so doing, the author says they make God out to be a liar. Very simply put, those people in your life that do not believe that Jesus is God, they're liars. Don't call them that. Invite them to church. Everybody's welcome. And we believe the Spirit of God will awaken them, and they will get saved. And maybe that's you today, and you're going to experience salvation today. We want to lead you to the Lord, and we're going to celebrate with you, and we're going to baptize you. I'm excited to do that. And in this letter, this is the fifth time that the author accuses his opponents of either being liars or making God out to be a liar. And in our culture right now, there's this big thing of enlightenment, right? Enlightenment. Do you know that the, do you know that the biggest problems in our culture today is not drugs, sex, and rock and roll? That's the thing of the 70s and 80s. No, nobody's even doing that anymore. The new thing is new age spirituality, demonology, Wicca, witchcraft, crystals, and all of that. My friend was recently staying in a resort in San Francisco, and I was like, looks good. Let me, ch- let me take a look at it. I'm reading all the offerings, and then I get to a page that was five pages long. We'll, we'll, read, we'll read crystals and tarot cards for you for $700. I'm like, what? I'm like, first of all, it's a ripoff. I can find much cheaper in Santa Ana or Garden Grove. Lance can do it, I guess. Hopefully not. Uh, first, that's a ripoff. Second of all, that's satanic. I'm not going to a hotel to get my tarot cards read. If I want to know what my future looks like, if I want to know anything, how anything works, I'll just ask my wife. Like, she knows everything. It's very simple. So the point is, we live in a culture where everybody wants to get enlightened. People are doing all sorts of things to be enlightened. Watch this, watch this. If you claim to be enlightened... But that enlightenment does not lead you to believe the truth about Jesus Christ, that he is God, then that is not enlightenment, that is confusion and blindness. If you're, I'm all about, somebody like, man, pastor, he's so, 
He's so uh, not open-minded. Some people are so open-minded, all their brains fell out. Sometimes you got to close that cap. No cap. The point is, oh, pastor, you don't, you, well, you're not even new. What do you mean? You're against enlightenment. No, I'm, I'm for enlightenment. You can call me. I love enlightenment. But does it going to lead you to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If that enlightenment is the light of Jesus Christ, I'm all about that life, right? So the point is, I'm trying to, church, I'm trying to equip you. And whoever is here, if you're a Christian, if you're not, I'm trying to equip you to have conversations. Be bold in your faith. See, if you're enlightened, but it doesn't lead you to Christ, you're not seeing clearly, but rather you don't see at all. That's why in verse 11, he says, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Watch this. When we believe in God, we get to live forever. We get to live forever. The Bible says, whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So here's how it works. If you don't have the son, you don't have life and you don't have purpose in life and you don't have meaning in life. Once you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is when your life begins and God's gift of eternal life is given in his son. So whoever has the son has Life, And this is why this verse 13 is so beautiful. If you have it in your Bible, underline it, highlight it if it's on your phone, highlight this one, bookmark this verse, 1 John 5, 13. Such a beautiful verse. He says, look, you've heard all of what I just said right now. And he's saying, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you personally may know that you have eternal life life. Can I, can I tell you guys what eternal life is? This is what I would say to you if I'm, if I'm hanging out with you, having a coffee with you, and we're just, we're just chilling, we're talking about religion and, and whatever. And I'd be like, look, hey, um, can I tell you about my life? Grew up in a Christian home, felt like I was looking for purpose, looking for meaning. Went to church, heard a message and I was 13 years old. I heard the message of the gospel clearly proclaimed. And at that moment I realized, wow, I'm actually a sinner in need of a savior. I realized all the things I've done wrong. I realized that I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. So I walked up to the front. I, I got on my knees. We don't do that anymore, but you can, if you want. Um, I, got, I walked to the front, I got on my knees and I asked God to forgive me of my sins and I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And from that moment, I never looked back. And that was God's grace in my life. You know, God is everything to me. Jesus Christ is everything to me. He's healed my marriage. He's healed many parts of me that were idolatrous. He's healed me of worry. He's healed me of anxiety. He's healed me of depression. He's healed me of sinful habits. He's healed me of uh, sinful uh, hangups. And even though I'm not a perfect person, what matters is my direction not my perfection. And I continue following this Jesus. And Jesus was a man just like you and me. He came to earth 2,000 years ago. By the way, in 2033, if you didn't already know this, we're going to be celebrating the 2,000 year anniversary of this great commission. Great commission is this really cool thing that Jesus said for all of his followers to do. It's like a vision statement, a mission statement. If you have purposelessness in your life, if you don't find a meaning in your life, if you don't have value in your life, hey, Believe in Jesus Christ, 
Put your faith and trust in him. Start reading the Bible. Start going to church. Get yourself with other Christians. They're going to encourage you. They're going to build you up. And guess what? Have you experienced hurt in your life? Have you experienced anxiety? Have you experienced people walking out on you? Have you experienced rejection? I have too. Jesus in the Bible promised us that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He's the best friend you've never had. And he's not just the best friend. He is God. And here's what Jesus promises, that your life will not be perfect. You'll have trials. You'll have tribulations. You'll have issues you're going to go through. But know this, that God will actually make you stronger through the things that cause you pain. In fact, your greatest ministry and your greatest purpose is going to come out of your greatest pain. So all the things that you felt like that happened in your life were really, really bad. God is going to use that for good. God is going to change you. God is going to shape you because he did all of that to me. And here's the best part. I get to live this on this earth with somebody who loves me, who cares for me, who 2000 years ago died for me in the cross. I don't know. Do you have a friend that died for you? You don't? Well, I do. His name is Jesus. He died for me in the cross. And here's the kicker. Here's the greatest deal in this whole thing. That Jesus promised me that when I die, when I breathe my last breath on this earth, when I pass away, I'm not going to turn into something else. I'm going to go to be with Jesus, the one I loved. I'm going to see him in person, physically, face to face. And then guess what? He's going to take all these things happening in this world, pandemic, problems, issues, all the world. It's actually, he's going to bring down a new heaven and a new earth on this world. He's going to create everything perfect. I'm going to be there with Jesus and it's going to be for eternity. Would you like to know more about this Jesus that I just told you about? That's what I would say to you. That's what I would say to you. And you know what? Doesn't that sound like a pretty good deal? I want it all. I want that deal. And Jesus gave it to me. And so the gift of eternal life is connected to Jesus. And so when God gives eternal life to us human beings, he gives it with his son. And look at the, I love that Jesus constantly gives us all these bonuses. Not only do we get to live forever in paradise, but we also get to live with Jesus who loved us so much that he died for us and now is alive also for us. If there was no Jesus in paradise, then count me out. I want to be where Jesus is. I want to be where the one I love. And here is the great benefit for you and for me, that eternal life. We escape death and we escape judgment. John 3.16, you guys know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 10, 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And I love the way that John 6, 37 through 40 says it. It says, however, those that the father has given me, if you're saved, the father has given me, they'll come to me. I'll never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those that he has given me, but I should raise them up on the last day. That's us living forever. For it is my father's will that all who see his son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day. That's the beauty we have in Jesus Christ. And so how can you be sure you will go to heaven? How can you be sure 
that you are saved. Acts 16.31 says this, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. If you were to come with me and we would have a counseling session and you would truly say, I'm not sure if I'm saved or not. Or you would say, I've been coming to church, I've been reading the Bible, but I'm not yet sure. I want you in the next series of slides, I want you to think of these questions and answer them for yourself. Do you love God? Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe in the work of Jesus and not your works as the basis and assurance of your salvation? Do you love the biblical Jesus, not the cultural one, not the Hollywood one, the biblical Jesus? Do you have any affection for the Christ of the Bible? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you personally? Do you believe that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, that he really did come back from the dead? Do you believe that by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you will have eternal life? Do you believe that? If you answered yes to all these questions, that's amazing. Praise the Lord. You are a Christian. God loves you. God is holding you in his hand and God will continue to be with you. If you answered even no to any of these questions, such an amazing opportunity for you to find another mature Christian in the church and have a conversation with them about it. Here's some more questions that I believe are going to help you. Are you personally broken over the sins you've committed? Are you grieving the fact that you've broken the heart of God because of your actions? See, repentance is when we trust in Jesus and turn away from our sin. Repentance is not about getting caught. It's about coming clean. It's about confessing your worst issues, the worst things you've ever done, not only to God, but to the people in your life. The Bible talks about confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. If you don't have a spouse, if you don't have friends, find a Christian and say, I need to confess to God and I need to tell somebody, I need this weight off my shoulders. If you feel that way, if you're broken over the actions that you've done and you've broken the heart of God and you feel that way, you are a Christian, you believe in Jesus. Have you repented and turned away from your sin and turned to Jesus? Have you prayed to ask God to forgive you of your sins? Do you ever actually remember praying and asking God to forgive you of your sins? If you haven't, this is your time. This is your moment. At the end of the message, we'll have an opportunity for you to do that. Do you believe that God has forgiven you all of your sins? He has given you a brand new life with no shame or guilt or condemnation for the things that you might have done or that might have been done to you, that God's mercy has forgiven you of everything you've ever done. An inexplicable sin that maybe you don't even want to say out loud. God has forgiven you. God has forgiven you. Believe on that. First John 4.18 says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Do you and others see and sense 
the work and fruit of the spirit in your life? Are you becoming a more humble person? Are you becoming a more gentle person? Are you becoming a more loving person? Are you becoming a more obedient person? Are you becoming more of a forgiving person? Are you becoming more of a patient person? Do you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you of your sin, of your thoughts, of your habits, of your patterns of life? Do you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you and you run to God and you ask him to forgive you and you move on with power in your life? Do you feel the Holy Spirit reminding you of his will for your life? Do you sense the Holy Spirit comforting you in times of difficulty and trial? Do you sense the Holy Spirit empowering you, giving you power, giving you life? Has the direction of your deepest longings and deepest desires changed? Do you have a desire to love God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength, and all of your soul? Do you have a desire to love the people of God? Do you have a desire to love and pursue the people who are still lost? Those who haven't put their faith and trust in Jesus with the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you personally have a desire to help others be instructed, mentored, discipled in their faith and in their walk with the Lord? Do you have a longing and a desire to go to church, to read your Bible, to pray, to be with other believers? Have you been finding a scripture to be alive and active? Are you finding certain biblical promises extremely precious and encouraging? The question I want to have is which ones? Are you finding God's calling God are you finding God's calling you or challenging you to something through the word and in what way? And I want to put Everybody at ease here because a lot of times we say, well, what if I don't do enough good works? What if I don't do enough to merit the salvation of Jesus? In Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through 43, I recommend you read this today. It's the story about the two thieves on the cross. And the, and the thief on the cross, the Bible says that Jesus told him, today you will be with me in paradise. The thief hasn't done any good works. And Jesus says to him, Truly, you will be with me in paradise. There is no clearer, more simple salvation than this episode in the Bible, that it is not because of your works. And so, my friends, have you put your faith in Jesus? Do you believe that if you died right now, you'd be in the presence of Jesus? Maybe a sin has hurt your faith. Maybe a doubt has grown in your heart. Maybe a trial has made you mad at God. Whether you need to trust Jesus today for your salvation or trust him with your sin, doubt, or trial today. Today is the day to look to Jesus. And this is the last thing I'm going to say. Here is your action step for this week. Pick up your Bible. If you don't own one, we're going to give you one at the Connect Desk. Spend time with the Lord, with your Bible, with a journal. Find another believer. You have a whole group of them here, right here, who would love to hang out with you. And go over the promises of God and find full assurance in that you'll be going to heaven and that your salvation is secure in Christ. Do that this week, today. And if that's not something that you have full assurance of, come to me, come to another leader, come to another mature Christian, and let's have that conversation. We would love to lead you to the Lord because Jesus wants to save you. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this audio content from Forward Church. We hope you were encouraged and are cheering you on as you follow Jesus. For more information, please visit forwardchurchirvine.com.